you brought your Bible this morning, would you turn with me to the book of Hebrews? The book of Hebrews chapter 10. The book of Hebrews chapter 10. While you're turning, I'll ask you a question. What are, the, what are three things that you need in order to make a successful journey? Especially before we had these little things we called GPS devices. Back years ago, if you wanted to get from one place to the next, and it was a journey of which you had never gone before, you would need something called a map, wouldn't you? That would be one thing that would be helpful to help determine how to get from where you are to where you need to go. Well, another thing is you need to have a means of transportation, whether it be a car or a bicycle <laughs> or a, an airplane, a train. You need to have a driver, you need to have a vehicle, and you need to have a map. And with those three things, you can pretty much get wherever you want to go and your journey will be successful. For the last four weeks, we've been talking about a journey. We've been talking about a destination. And that destination is that we become, as individual Christians, disciple-making disciples. And that our church become a disciple-making disciple church. That is the destination because that is the mission. In the book of Hebrews chapter 10, we find one of the many, many, what I call the, quote, one another, end quote, passages in the New Testament. One another. Uh, in a subsequent, Lord willing, uh, sermon, we will go through a variety of these. But today I want us to just look at this one particular one in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 24 and also 25. One another. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. <laughs> Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. That is the day of the Lord's return. We are to encourage one another. We are to not neglect to meet together with one another. We are to stir one another up to love and good works. In a very real sense, that, my friends, is a picture of discipleship. Let's pray for just a moment. Gracious Father, our holy God in heaven, we thank you today that we can come to you and be heard as your children, not because of anything good that we've done, not because of anything that we are in and of ourselves, but because of Jesus, the one who lived a perfect life, the one who died in our place, the one who arose from the grave, and the one who has extended to us forgiveness of sins through his own life. So... Father, what we want to do is we want to ask you to help us to become what we are not. To help us to grow more and more into the very image of Jesus. 
Thank you, Father, that you've given us your holy word that we can look into the scriptures and see just who you are and how you are, how you deal with nations and how you deal with people. Thank you that we can look into your word and we can see through the written word, the living word, the Lord Jesus. And help us as we do to emulate him, to walk in his footsteps, to live as he lived. So, Father, take your word today and take this time as we devote it to you and shape us and mold us into the very image of Christ and burden our hearts. Give us a desire, Lord, to help others to do the same because we ask in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. So, Over the last four weeks, we have discovered that the mission of the local church, according to Matthew 28, is to do what? To make disciples. So, if the mission is to make disciples, we went to the book of Luke, chapter 24, and we we heard again Jesus giving the Great Commission, and it was a a little different emphasis put on it. And what we talked about in that sermon was that in the means of making disciples, that which is indispensable to actually making disciples who will make disciples for Jesus, the means of making those disciples was what? Anybody remember? The Word of God. So you have to have the Word of God because even in my prayer I prayed saying to the Father that it is through the Word that we know who, who God is. It is through the Word that we understand Jesus and we see clear pictures of Jesus. If you don't use the Word of God in the discipleship process, then you have no real concrete way of measuring how you're doing. People don't know Jesus apart from the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. That's Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So we can't even have faith and trust in Christ without the Word, and we can't know Him. A lot of times, if you think back, how did you come to know Jesus? How do you know anything about Jesus? The only way that you and I know anything about Jesus Christ is that it was recorded for us by some of the apostles and some of the first disciples that they trained. And then other people were faithful to obey the command that Jesus gave us to make disciples and teach them to make disciples who would then teach others to make disciples until it came to us. But the only reason that you know that Jesus, for example, is compassionate is because Jesus is revealed to be compassionate in the Word. So if you didn't have a Bible, if you didn't have the Scriptures, if you didn't have any knowledge of what is in this book, you would not know God, your Creator. You would know nothing about Him truly, and you would not know anything about Jesus. So to, to make disciples, we must use the Word of God. 
because that is the means by which disciples will be made. Now, then we went to the book of Acts and we discovered that there is a power source within each and every one of us as as Christians. And there is a power source within the local churches that enables us to be successful in the mission of making disciples. And that power source is who? God the Holy Spirit. So just like there is a power source somewhere that it's not in these little light bulbs. The light bulb itself does not contain the power to burn the bulb. The power comes from a different source. And if you disconnect these light bulbs from the source of the power, then they will go off. They will not burn. And it's the same way with you and your life as a Christian. It's the same way with our church. If we are not enabled, if we are not empowered by God the Holy Spirit, then we can't burn. We can't live for Jesus. We can't find success in the mission that Jesus has given us and called us to. And we ought to be thankful for that because if you and I are very honest, (laughs) we know that we can't do it without Him. We have zero chance of making an impact on Princeton and the greater community around us for Jesus, eternal impact for Jesus, apart from God the Holy Spirit. So, the mission is to make disciples. The means is the Word of God. The power is the Holy Spirit. And the mode... We went to the book of John, chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus says, As the Father, God the Father, has sent me, so I am sending you. So the mode, the disposition of the Christian in the process of making disciples, using the Word of God, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we said was a word You remember it? It's a little bit harder word. Incarnate or incarnational. Incarnational. Now, we spent a whole sermon just thinking about what that means. What it means for God, the eternal God the Son, to be incarnated, to come and take upon Himself flesh, to actually be born as a baby we celebrate that at christmas time and he grew up and he he was a man he was a hundred percent a man and he was also a hundred percent god at the same time incarnate god dwelling among us tabernacled in a body and if you remember the way that i said that you are going to live the christian life the way that you're going to help impact and influence people for Jesus and see people come into the kingdom of God and see people discipled and trained and grow in, in, up in the faith is by you living as Jesus lived. So as God sent Jesus into the world, and how did he send Jesus into the world? Well, he didn't send him into the world to speak from the atmosphere up above us. 
He didn't send Jesus into the world to shout at us from a distance, but he sent Jesus into the world to come and actually dwell among us as one of us. And you have to let that hit you, brothers. You have to let that hit you. That that God chose to make disciples, those first 11 disciples that he made, that in turn went out and made others, who made others, who made others. They were to do that job and fulfill that mission the same way that Jesus did. And Jesus came incarnate. He came and he actually got down, as it were, on the same level as those whom he came to save. Now, it doesn't mean that Jesus <laughs> committed any sins. We know he didn't commit any sins. So I wasn't saying in that message, and I'm not saying today, so please don't hear me, that I'm saying that you need to go out here and sin with the sinners in order to reach sinners. That would be a misunderstanding. Some people have come to that conclusion before, by the way. The Apostle Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 6. He says, How can we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so you and I should walk in newness of life. But here's the way that Jesus did. You remember we went back and we looked at those texts of Scripture where they, they, the religious leaders, not all of them, but many of them in Jesus' day, ridiculed Jesus and mocked him and, and scorned him. Why? Because he hung out with sinners. He ate with them. He spent time with them. He would go to their houses. He would teach them and spend time with them. And that's exactly what God has called us to do. If we are going to fulfill the mission of making disciples who make disciples of all nations, then it has to begin one person at a time. Right? One person at a time. And the way that we do that is by modeling our Lord's example. And Jesus was willing to spend time, and watch this, build relationships with people who were lost at enmity with God, who were rebelling against God, and he was the only one, Jesus is the only one, who could have rightly condemned them. He could have sent them instantaneously, as he could any of us, into hell and been perfectly just for doing it. But he didn't. He didn't. He loved them. And that's what we must do. We must begin to see what it is to live incarnationally in the sinful community that we live in. Now, what does that have to do with today and the driver and the vehicle and the map? Well, in order to get to that destination of being a disciple-making disciple, in order to get to that destination of us being a disciple-making church, I want to introduce you today to the concept and the idea of developing a discipleship strategy. Okay? So all we're going to do today is just look at some scriptures and understand through the example of Jesus that we need to actually build a strategy 
to actually make disciples. Because one thing that I have learned in my short years of life is that if you don't have a plan, you will almost always fail. Now, many of you love to do things just spontaneously. You know, you love to experience life spontaneously you love those joyful moments that just come those moments of laughter you love those moments of love where you just you know there's this spontaneous moment and we all love that but you know if i was to walk over here and say i really love the piano and the way that sounds and you know so i love it and 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 i i like spontaneity so i'm just going to go over here and play well how do you think that would turn out for me Not very good because you take a person and put them in front of an instrument like that, myself especially, I don't know how to play it. But you take a person who hours and hours of discipline on this piano, ah, then you can set down that person in front of a crowd like this and people can say spontaneously, let's sing Amazing Grace. Let's sing, I'll fly away. And what can happen? They just start playing. You need to understand that discipline is not your enemy, it is your friend. Having a plan, having a process, and having discipline in your life is going to enable you to be spontaneous. You ever thought about people, you know, they get put on the spot? And, they, you know, if I were to say to you, uh, lead us in prayer right now. And many of you would go, oh, man, I don't want to do that. And, and I understand. I understand that. And, and, and I'm not going to call on anybody. But, but I've been there. And so what makes the difference? Well, I think the difference is if you have a passionate, persistent, personal prayer life with Jesus every day, it won't be hard to pray in front of people. I'm not, I know you, different people have different levels of comfort, you know, what they feel comfortable and all that. I understand that. But my point is, if we, are, if we are disciplined, in order to be disciplined, there are rules. In order to be disciplined, there's a plan. In order to be disciplined, there is a structure, right? And one of the things that happened years ago, and many of these older folks that are here today could tell you what that plan was. For discipleship. Now, it, it, may, it may have been a great plan. It may not have been a great plan. That's not the point. The point is, if you would walk into almost any Southern Baptist church about three decades ago, you would almost find the same plan for making disciples. But if you go into any Southern Baptist church today, we're all over the map. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Every church doesn't have to copy off another church. But the point is that I'm trying to get at is that we do need a plan. We do need a process. Because if we don't, then we have what I call the Lone Ranger Christians. We're all just independently working as independent contractors. And God never called you to live that way. God never called us to live that way. God called us to live together in community. As a body. Any of you ever woke up on, on uh, Saturday morning and said, you know, 
I really don't need you, hand today, so I'll just dismiss you. We don't have to work together today. You ever say that? I, I doubt it. Why? Because your body, in order for you to live and function and accomplish things, you need all the parts. Now, some of the doctors take out some of the parts and they say that's okay. I figure they need to be in there. I'm not saying you can't live without some of them because we do, but we need them. And that's the way it is in the church. We need one another. We, we were not designed by God to live in isolation. We were not. So, and, and I get that. I get that. You know, like the, the Quakers or, um, uh, you know, who were some of the other groups that, you know, they, they kind of build their, their own societies and they, they just, you know, shut off from the world and they're, 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 they're not trying to have anything to do with the world. You know, they're going to be a pure uh, group of people. And I understand that, that desire. We desire to live in a world that is not stricken with sin. We desire to live in the world that's, that where, where righteousness and love abounds and where people honor God and people honor Jesus. We desire that. I get that. But Jesus was sent into the world to live right among the sinners that he came to save. And you and I, want to, I guarantee you, one of the biggest problems that you have, especially the older you are in the faith, as older, the older you are in number of years of living, is the, one of the biggest problems you have in the discipleship process is you don't have any relationships with sinners. One of the big disconnects of the church is that we are not connected in relationships with people that are not saved. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He came and he built those. So, we cannot leave the process of making disciples to chance. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, modeled for us as the master teacher, the master disciple maker, what it means to be a disciple maker and a teacher and a honorer of God. And so Jesus knew exactly what it was going to take to accomplish the mission and one of the first things, so remember I said you need a driver, right? Okay, so if you're a note taker, write the word driver. And then put out from that intentional leader. Intentional leader. Because if it's one thing that a leader must have is initiative. We must, we must be intentional about this process. Because if I were to go around and embarrass you, <laughs> which I won't, and say, for you to tell me out loud, how many people have you shared the gospel with this week? I wonder how many in this room, including myself, would have to answer none. Now, I'm going to look at you now, make a little eye contact here, let that, let that hit. How many would have to say none? But then if I were to turn around and say, wouldn't you like to see s- s- some more people come to faith in Jesus? And every one of you would say, yeah, I like that. Well, those people that are going to come to faith in Jesus in Princeton are not going to come to faith in Jesus here in our city unless you and I are intentional about sharing the gospel with them. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of Christ and they cannot hear without someone sharing. So the first part of the equation of getting to be a disciple-making disciple and a disciple-making discipleship church 
is to have an intentional leader. Now, I'm not just talking about the pastor here. Don't, don't get me wrong. Leadership is two things. I don't know if Allison Amber was there that day uh, at Concord at the BSU. I taught them about leadership all year last, last, uh, last year in our BSU group. And I taught them something that, that I'm going to share with you today. To me, leadership is, can, can be boiled down to two words, okay? Leadership can be boiled down to two words. And the first word is initiative. Someone who takes initiative is leading. So if you're sitting around, brothers, men, if you're sitting around in your family is... You know, you got a couple kids texting, playing video games. Uh, you know, your wife's sitting there flipping through a, you know, cooking magazine or whatever. And you're sitting over there, you know, looking out the window watching the birds. But in your heart, in your mind, you know that your, your family needs to come to the foot of the cross. Your family needs to grow in knowledge and experience of God and His Word then it's going to take somebody to go and get the Bible and come and say, hey, let's read uh, hey, let's read Hebrews chapter 10 today, family. And let's talk about what, that, what those verses mean. That is taking initiative. And that's leadership. That's leadership. So when you're standing around talking to someone in the supermarket, when you're standing around at school or at work and... And, or out in your neighborhood or at the gym or wherever you go. You're standing there talking to them. You say, you know, how you doing? I'm doing okay. You're from around here. And you're talking to someone, someone, a leader, okay, a spiritual leader, a disciple making disciple. The way that we do that is by taking the initiative to say, do you have a home church? I don't care what you say. I'm not trying to give you the exact words, okay? Do you have a home church? Do you know Jesus? You know? Is there anything I can pray for you about? You have to somehow take the initiative to see if this person you're talking to knows Jesus. Because you're an ambassador. And you've been called to do that work. The second word, not only initiative, but influence. Leadership is influence. If you take the initiative and you... You're leading. If you, um, if you have influence, you are leading. If you're around a group of people, and let's say that you and your friends are going to go out this Friday night, and you all jump in the car, and everybody says, you know, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? Now, you can be a passenger that just sits idly in that car while it goes off to a party or goes off to whatever it might be something you don't want to be involved in, and later on you regret that you did. But if you take the initiative, you might be the one to say, well, let's do this, and you think of a specific plan, you think of a specific thing, you take the initiative, and all of a sudden now you have steered the direction of that conversation. You've steered the direction of that night, that outing in a positive direction. To be a disciple-making church, we have to be disciple-making Christians. And to be disciple-making Christians, we have to start taking the initiative and we have to start using our influence to help impact others for Jesus. All right, now I want you to say these words. Say the word 
initiative. Say the word. That was weak. I saw you back there, Jared. Come on. Say the word influence. You got it. You're leading us. So we have influence and we have initiative. Can you remember those two words? Now, if you think of initiative and you think of influence and you put this phrase for Jesus behind it. Oh, man. We're getting ready to transform a church. That's what's going to happen. If every single one of you live this week thinking of the word influence and the word initiative, and you think of it in connectivity to Jesus. I want to have, I want to take the initiative and I want to have some influence for Jesus. You say, well, I don't think I have a whole lot of influence over a whole lot of people. Don't worry about how many people. Don't worry how much it is. You let God handle that. You just, you just take the initiative and you give the influence that God gives you. But you just make sure that it's for Jesus. Can you do that? Shake your head like this. You can do that. Who is it that you need to call? Who's that person? (laughs) Who's that person, though, that you need to call that doesn't know Jesus? Who's that person? Just think about it in your mind. Who is that one? Who is that two? Who is that three? Who is that five? You know these people. You've been putting it off. You know they need to know Jesus. You've been scared. You've been whatever it is. But you know that they need to know. And you would like to tell them, listen, you have to take the initiative. Friends and family, start right there, my brother. Start right there. That, you have no greater circle of influence than your friends and your family. So, key number one, intentionality. If you leave discipleship up in the air of, we need to be disciple-making disciples. Just leave it there. I've done it, folks. And you've sat here for five years and listened to me say it. Have you not? We need to be disciple-making disciples. If you leave it there, it will never happen. There has to be 1, 2, 3, 5, 10, 50 of us make an intentional effort to do something. Now, I've got to keep going. Key number two. Key number two, the vehicle now, because we're the drivers. We have to take the initiative. We get in the car. Now we're going somewhere. Now, what is the vehicle that we drive in? It is called a relational environment. A relational environment. Because in order to have influence and in order to have an impact and in order to take initiative in the area of discipleship, you have to take initiative to build relationships with people. It is only in the atmosphere of real life discipleship relationships that people grow in their faith. Listen, people do not get discipled just simply by coming like you are out here in in this service today. I wish that that would be all that we needed, but it's not. And you know how I know that it's not? Because that's not the way Jesus did it. Jesus preached just like I am. He he stood up in the synagogues and the different marketplace and he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. And he, he stood up and he taught them so many things in public. But with those 11 
that turned the world upside down in the book of Acts. With those 11, he spent intimate time with them in personal relationships. So, I want you to say this word. Say the word relationship. Relationship. So you've got to be intentional and you've got to use influence to build relationships with sinners so that you can impact them for Jesus Christ. Now, you can't make people saved. You can't make people change. You can't change people's heart. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm saying turn the conversation to Jesus. I'm saying turn the activity to Jesus. I'm saying somehow, some way, we have to start living with Jesus as the focal point of our hearts, of our lives, of our minds, of our attitudes, of our actions, of our disposition. And as we do that, we're going to have influence on other people. It doesn't take very long for people to know whether you're a true Christian or not. Does it? People will test you right off, right off the bat. Oh, you say you're a Christian? Okay. Well, we'll see about that. So they'll, they'll, they'll look at your life and you will have influence. And it will either detract from the cause of Christ or it will help propel the cause of Christ. I see some of you looking a little different today. It's making me smile. You're smiling at me. It makes me smile. I feed off the crowd. Let me tell you this. There is hope for this church. But you have to understand that each and every one of us play a part in that happening. And you just take the initiative. You're not responsible to do what I have to do. And I'm not responsible to do what you are going to do. But we are responsible and accountable to God for what we do with our lives. And I want your life and my life to count for Jesus. So we have a driver. We are the driver. We are the driver when we take initiative and we exert influence as intentional leaders. We are intentional. The vehicle is a relational environment. Jesus taught people in the open air, in the big crowds. He taught people in their houses, in their homes. He taught people by the well. Uh, he, he talked to one woman by the well side. He, he, he called one man down out of a tree. I mean, you've got to realize that Jesus was a man who lived and interacted with real people, just like you do every day. <laughs> and I'm not trying to make you, you know, be some kind of, well, David Coe, I guess, like a Jesus freak or whatever, even though I think I kind of am. But, uh, you know, just somebody that's like the wind's blowing, ooh, the, the, the wind of the Holy Spirit, you know, and just trying to turn everything in some kind of awkward, you know, Christianized. So I'm not trying to tell you to do that, you know, that everything somebody says to you in every situation, you're going to make it some kind of awkward, people don't know how to relate to statement about Jesus' church or the Holy Spirit or whatever. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is real relationships with real people that has a focus and a goal on it. Does this person know Jesus as their Savior and Lord? If they do, how could I encourage them in their walk with Jesus? One of the things that I think we do in our mind, and I think I get this from myself, and you can verify whether it's true in your life or not. But I think what I've done in my life many times is I have overcomplicated this word discipleship to the point where I do not do anything because I've overcomplicated it to the point I don't understand what it is. When I say discipleship, what do you think of? I've, I, I don't want you to yell it out, but I, I would love to know. But let me just give you, let me just give you uh, what I think, some of the things that we should, we should say. 
first of all, discipleship is not a program or a class. Okay? A lot of people think discipleship, oh, yeah, we need to have a class. <laughs> okay? You can do discipleship in a class, but discipleship is not a class. Discipleship is not a program. You know? Like, oh, I know, discipleship, Sunday school, Awanas, uh, core seminars, whatever, whatever way the church does it. I know what that is. It's a class. It's a program. That's not discipleship. Now, you can do discipleship in a class, but discipleship is not a class. You follow me? Because discipleship is a, it, it's, it's harder to grab a hold of. Discipleship is a lifestyle. It really is. Discipleship is having influence, and every one of us has influence in other people's lives, and taking that influence through our initiative to focus people on Jesus and His Word. So it's not a program, it's not a class. Let me give you a sentence. Discipleship is a lifestyle of helping people know Christ. Can you help somebody know Christ? Sure. A lifestyle of helping other people know Christ and helping people grow in the likeness of Christ. Helping people know Christ. Oh, you know Christ. Helping people grow in the likeness of Christ. The means is the word. The power is the spirit. The goal is to make disciples. The mode is incarnational in real life relationships. Caring for people. And the way that you do it is through initiative and influence. Can you do that? You sure can. Helping someone grow. What do people need to grow? They need to be fed. Right? Jesus said, quoting in the Old Testament, Thou shalt not live by bread alone, but by every... Word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So helping someone grow into the likeness of Christ, help, help them with the Word. Encourage somebody with a Bible verse. Do you ever do that? Encourage someone with a prayer. People need to be prayed for. People need to be prayed with. People need to learn how to pray. In order to grow in the likeness of Christ, people need to have an opportunity to serve and stretch their wings and fly. In some form of service. All right. Very quickly, let me finish this. I've gone over a little bit on my what I wanted to on the time. But the driver is intentional leadership, intentionality. Okay. The vehicle is a relational environment, some kind of a relationship. So you could just write the word relationship. So a driver, intentionality plus relationships plus reproducible process equals success in disciple-making. So to develop a strategy, the strategy needs to be reproducible, okay? Now, how many of you already have one? And many of you, none of you may not. I want to give you just today, I'm not done, I'm just quitting, <laughs> you know, and, and, and they all said amen. Uh, I'm not done, I'm just quitting. But a person, 
I'm just scratching the surface of this, okay? We're just getting our feet wet. But in, in discipleship, I'm going to tell you something that's after you hear it, it's like, I do that. The way that you can help influence people for Christ, it's either whether they know Christ or whether they, uh, if they do know Christ, help them grow into the likeness of Christ. This is easy. And everybody can do it, and that's why I want to mention it. Whatever you hear or see, you can show and tell. Whatever you see and hear in your walk, in your relationship with God through the Word, whatever you see. I was reading today about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Whatever you see, whatever you hear, I was hearing Jesus or I heard the preacher or I was listening to a song in your walk with God, in your relationship with Jesus, whatever you are hearing and seeing, you can show and tell. You see compassion in Christ? Show compassion to someone else. Guess what you're doing? Discipleship. Because you're helping someone to grow into the likeness of Christ by being an example to them. Because discipleship is more caught than it is taught. That's why, that's why it's so difficult. It's like trying to catch the bar of soap after it gets wet. Try to grab it and it goes everywhere else. And that's the way it is when we talk about discipleship. It seems like it goes here and there. We can't get a grip on it. And the reason is because it is called. It's something where Jesus got down and washed the disciples' feet, and then he got up, and what did he tell them? What you have saw me do to you, do to others. Whatever you see, whatever you hear in God's Word, from God, in your relationship, you can show and tell to other people and you will be doing discipleship. And that's going to create an environment. That's going to create a culture. That's going to create a milieu, this, this ambience, this feeling, this atmosphere of discipleship in a church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word that you've given us. We thank you for your holy scriptures we thank you for your holy spirit we thank you for this group of people that have gathered here today and i pray for each and every one of them i don't know if there would be one here today that's lost father you know each and every heart you know what they stand in need of and god i just pray right now that if someone has been sitting on the fence they've been uh sitting there for quite some time and it's maybe it's just gotten pretty comfortable sitting on the fence and they think you know i'll just kind of hang out here I pray that right now by your spirit, Lord, you would just call them off of that fence and you will bring them over into a personal, intimate, deep-rooted relationship with you wherein you begin to develop them and to shape them and to mold them into the very image of Christ. I pray, oh God, that if there's one here today that's lost, that you would save them, God, help them to see in you the only answer, because truly you are, the only answer to their sin problem, to their guilt problem, to their whatever problem, and know that Jesus Christ died for them. Help them to know that, help them to see that, and help them to respond to that reality today. And for us in Christ, we pray that you would help us to grow 
And as we grow, help us to give it away. Whatever we've been given today, help us to just give even a small proportion of what you give us each and every day. From your word, in our prayer times, in our worship times, help us, oh God, to give that away to other people and just keep doing that and keep doing that. And I pray that you would make us obedient to this thing we call the Great Commission of making disciples who make disciples of all nations. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.